boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. It's Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me is Lon Harris. Hoot hoot, Lon. I'm not doing that anymore. We're just the Binge Boys now. I'm not. I'm not playing these owl games any longer. Oh, I, okay. That's a hot take. That this just in. This just in. I am going to be Owl Nation for life. So you're going to have to deal with that. It's not that I'm rejecting the Owl Nation. I just I don't like saying hoot hoot. It makes me feel silly. I, I, that was never part of our deal. Okay. No, I mean, we never... We never discussed that. There was never a board meeting where we were like, we're going to start saying hoot hoot all the time. Oh, I should have made you sign a prenup, motherfucker, where you'd have to come in and be like, hoot hoot. Oh, man. All right. Well, sorry to start this uh, episode <laughs> off on a bad note, but I think we can recover. It's not a bad note. I'm just saying I don't like hooting. Lon, I'll, war- I'll warm up. I'll warm up. I-, 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 I might forgive you one day for renouncing owl nation it's not a renouncing of the nation it's just i don't like saying the the hoot hoot phrase it's non-democratic because i there's only two of us and i never approved hoot hoot the hoot hoot got just approved by the overwhelming response of owl nation i i i there's no it's not a good call and response i feel silly every time i don't like it with the hoot hoot i don't okay I, what about I this i say one hoot and you say one hoot. i don't know i i don't want to hoot in hoot now you say it no i'm hoot. not we're not doing the hooting. <laughs> i'm just I'll, I'll hello owl nation well thank you for joining us here on binge boys i'll do that a formal greeting We'll figure something out. We'll come out. up with a salutation that works for that. Lon, I am binging right now CNN <laughs> and other news sources because we are recording on Election Day, November but we are 3rd. We are speaking to people in the future who know who we We don't know who is going to come out on top. Yes. Could be Kanye. Could be one of the other people running. We don't know yet. Yeah, we may be living in the administration of Yeezy. Well, that they, they, they be, they could be President-elect West. You know, when people are listening to this, I don't know. Who's to say? I would call him President-elect Yay. I feel like this is going to be, if a certain, I won't say who. We, who knows who's listening? Okay. I feel like if a certain candidate wins, this is going to be a very dark episode for people. Because we're sort of broadcasting from an earlier, more innocent time. It is a more innocent time. And, and like, uh, dreams could be crushed by the time. Like, even hearing word from people who still had hope left could be a, a bitter pill to swallow next week for people. Lon, let's jump into some actual TV news, move away from the political. Some important news for once, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So, we were just talking about, before we got on air... NBC pulled the Harry Potter movies off of Peacock. Right. Well, so the Harry Potter movies for the next few years are licensed to NBC Universal as part of a deal for Warner Media, which owns them, that, that long predates all of these streaming services. So before there was HBO Max, before there was Peacock, Warner agreed to sell the TV and streaming rights for Harry Potter to NBC Universal for a few years. Mm-hmm. So that deal was a very specific worked out deal. And part of it was you could put it on streaming platforms, but part of it was there will be exclusive windows where NBC Universal can only show the movies on broadcast networks, including like Sci-Fi Channel or USA Network or their cable broadcast companies. So I noticed during the pandemic, 
there were a few times when the same Harry Potter movie was playing on Sci-Fi USA and I think E at the same time. All those numbers are owned by Comcast, so they're all controlled by NBC Universal. So right, so they own the same rights to the same movies sometimes at overlapping times. So Mr. Potter. So that deal extends for the next few years and it just means that right now those movies aren't available anywhere on any subscription streaming service. So what if I want to watch Alan Rickman on demand? You can't. Yeah. Right now you can only, you can own them. So you can buy them on physical media or you can pay like 20 bucks each to iTunes or to Amazon for a copy, a digital copy. But I, can I rent it? I can rent it on it. You can rent it. You can rent it or you can buy it. Exactly. So it's available on those VOD services, not any of the subscription platforms. If you're a person who's a big fan and wants to like own these movies, I feel like these companies are really communicating to you that you have to buy them on physical media. Even Amazon is now saying, even if you buy a digital copy, we still technically own the movie. You're just paying for access. To it. Damn. I got to get up in my Potterverse because I'll tell you what, Universal Studios is closed, so I can't go to Universal Studios, which is just like, you know, 10 minutes from where I live here in Los Angeles. It's true. They have a whole wizarding world there. Yeah, I can't get my butterbeer, so... Well, you, I mean, there's a, there's a relatively inexpensive Blu-ray box set. I own it with all the Potter movies in there. And You, you know how many Blu-rays I own, Lon? approximately zero. Yeah, well, Ron, that's what I'm saying is maybe... I'm not a physical media man. I know it's a streaming show. It's a show about streams. We're the binge boys. I understand that. But listen, I'm just saying there is still an argument to be made for physical media. If you are the kind of completist who always wants to be able to immediately access your favorite content. Ron, first you tell Owl Nation to shove it. Yeah, that was my message. Owl Nation should shove it. Second... You disgrace the binge boys, <laughs> the stream guys, the click dudes yeah. with by owning physical media and trumpeting the benefits of it. Lon, I, I really don't know what to do with you today. I also voted for Trump. So, you know, three for three. Oh, Lon, you know I'm a... I didn't. I come on. Lon, I'm a bleeding heart lib. I'm a libtard. This over show here. is now and crossfire. Listen, Hal. Here's why the Second Amendment is the best um, amendment. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lon, you know, I'm a, I'm an owl man. I'm, I'm an owl man. I'm an anti-physical media man, and I'm a real lefty. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> we're just clashing all over the place today. But uh, yeah, maybe when shit goes down. And we're all getting our power through generators. And you have your Blu-ray player and TV plugged into a generator. And I'm sitting over here rubbing twigs together. You will laugh in my face because I won't be able to watch anything. I mean, yeah, I, you know, right. Okay. Eventually, eventually we'll be in a post-civilization dystopia. Blu-rays will be useless, but so will everything else you own. It's not going to be more useless than your, you know, than your desktop computer. Or your Peloton, your Peloton's going to be useless. Will dirty magazines ever be back in vogue? Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. If there's no more internet, all of a sudden the <laughs> porn economy returns to the magazine. That's, that's, it's only technology that has evolved us beyond the porno mag. <laughs> the moment the plug is pulled, the moment the, the generator goes down, what are you left with? Yeah, we'd be right back to those playing cards with, like, the nudie pictures. Oh, I had a deck of those when I was a kid. That 
oh, that ushered me into my pubescence. <laughs> I fear I've said too much. For all of you crotchety hundred-year-old prospectors listening, you'll catch that reference. Fear I've said too much, Lon. Okay, moving on. So Harry Potter uh, <laughs> catches catch can. We also got news today that Hulu has canceled uh, the Stephen King-themed anthology series Castle Rock after two oh. after two seasons, which I'm disappointed. I enjoyed. I that. haven't watched all of Castle Rock, so uh, yeah, I'm betraying the binge boys now because I haven't binged all of it. But uh, I enjoyed what I saw, and I really loved a place where Stephen King can just play. You know, the Stephen King universe can uh, just. Get together and I, I feel the same way. have it's, a scare party. Well, it's nice that they could pick up ideas and characters and scenarios and stuff like his world, but aren't locked into these old stories, some of which are a little creaky or haven't necessarily held up over time. So, right, the idea to like kind of mix it all up and reassemble the spare parts into new stories is very appealing. I, I mean, they're going to do another one called Overlook Hotel that's going to be like, stories from throughout the years of the haunted overlook like before the shining yeah, happened. The shining yeah so i mean that'll be fun too but I don't, i'm disappointed i feel like i felt like castle rock could have gone for another few seasons yeah what what did you think of the shining part two on doc you mean dr sleep or we call it the shining part two too shining too furious i thought it was i thought it was really good i really i, I enjoyed mike flan it's the same guy that did the blind manor hill house shows mike flanagan oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really like his take, you know, where he, he's, he's very good at balancing, like, equal parts taking the story seriously and really making it about these characters and their journey. It's not just jumping between scares, but then they're very effective as horror movies. They are very scary. And that, that scene with Jacob Tremblay in Dr. Sleep is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Dr. Sleep, although I thought it was too long. I thought by the end it collapsed under its own weight a little bit. Did you watch the regular theatrical cut or the director's cut? Because there's an even longer director's cut. Oh, spare me, spare me. I like it. I don't, I, if I'm enjoying a movie, I'm like, give me more of this movie. I'm not done. Sure, sure. I'll take a three-hour cut if I'm if I'm digging it. This is everybody, when The Irishman came out, this was the whole argument was like, oh, it's so long. It's like, but it's not bad long. It's good long. Yeah, I enjoyed The Irishman, although I had I saw that in a a limited screening. Uh, I went to the Egyptian theater here in Los Angeles to see it. And for anyone here in L.A., the chairs at the Egyptian, not comfortable. It was also a very warm evening. So the circumstances were against but, me. but I still enjoyed the, the film. I still no, I still enjoyed the Irishman. Right. That's that's the that's the I also venue. got some free lobby cards. I also got some free lobby cards. That was cool. I I I'm always down for uh free swag. So bye bye to Castle Rock. Line. Yeah, what a shame. There you go. Adios. Can't make them all. Can't make every show. Oh, you know what? I thought I thought Stephen King would finally have something he could yeah it's about time uh, that guy on his resume that guy got a win right only 18 shows and five films in production now poor guy poor stephen king how's he gonna make ends meet there's plenty of stephen king if you want it there's so much stephen king spillover like his son has like eight projects going at any given time (laughs) like it's true we're, we're like multiple generations of kings are selling what, things what's his now. son's name joe joe hill joe hill yeah, yeah. yeah he picked just he's like i don't want to take my dad's incredibly generic name allow me to take this totally separate extraordinarily generic name exactly <laughs> he 
Yeah. And he made it his own way. He, he didn't use his dad to open any doors at any companies. And his son, Fred Smith, and his son, Dave Jones, great authors, really making a name for themselves. Yeah. Just like Nicolas Cage. He didn't want Coppola. You pick Cage. You better pick your own name. You go with Cage. Cage is sort of an ironic name for him because, like, if anyone, he is uncaged. I feel like he was looking forward to, like, one day I'll be in Vanity Fair and it'll be like, Nicholas, uncaged. Like, he was setting himself up for that one, I think. Oh, it's, yeah, really conducive to headlines. My favorite one of these is, is Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son, because Dylan, not his father's real last uh-huh. name. But when he first came out and the wallflowers started getting big, he was doing interviews where he's like, don't compare me to my father. I wish people would stop comparing to me to my father. It's like, well, you could just be Jacob Zimmerman or whatever. Yeah, not an option. Not an option. And whatever the, or the last name of the person who raised you, your mother, any of these would be acceptable. No, no, going to go with Jacob Dylan, the name that legally there's no reason for you to have. They'd be like, stop comparing me. To the famous person named Dylan. I mean, he went with the rock and roll lineage. Yeah, very consistent. Very consistent. Jacob. Well done. Be quiet. Yeah. Jacob. Yeah, the last we saw of him, he directed that Laurel Canyon documentary. Right, but not, there were two, and his was not the one that was called Laurel Canyon. It's called Echo in the Canyon or something. Echo something else. Yes, the the songs of uh, peace and love and the smoking weed and Laurel Canyon in the 1970s. Right. You know, all this like cool. Yeah. Who doesn't want to watch a documentary about cool people who were hanging out once? Yeah. Wearing suede jackets. There were like three years where fucking all these cool people just fucking hung out, man. Don't you want to hear about that? Do I? Whoa. They made some good music. Well, I could just listen to the music. Yeah. But don't you want to hear about how they hung out? Really chill. Joni I mean, Mitchell was depends. there. It's not that I don't like Joni Mitchell songs, and we're not. If you were like, what do you hey, got against Crosby, Stills and Nash? You want to hear a cool song that was recorded in the late '60s in Lark Canyon? Sure. You want to watch this hour and a half film about people sitting around being cool together? That's okay. I'm good. I mean, it, it depends how into it I am. That that's it. That's plain and simple. If I if I was a fanatic, if it was yeah, if it was Dave Matthews Band hanging out, you'd be all in. I understand. Oh, you know I love a good <laughs> Matthews Band. The hang. DMB hangout, then yeah. Oh yeah, especially their tour bus story. <laughs> yes, I want to. I would watch an entire docu series just about the Dave Matthews Band septic tank incident. Oh yeah, they'd call it the dumping. Lon, any other stories you want to hear? Ah, no, let's we... just get into it, man. Oh, That's I, enough. oh, you know, oh, sorry. I have one more thing. I just want to really, last week on our show, I made uh, a, a couple of sillies, and then I gave just a kind of a passing recommendation to the Queen's Gambit, for the Queen's Gambit. And I just want to double down on that. I finished the Queen's Gambit. It's really glorious. Anya Taylor-Joy is freaking fantastic. And I was in it till the very end, and the ending is. Well, I don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil that. Yeah, for don't you, spoil. But definitely watch the Queen's Gambit. I'm gonna get around. Lon will get to it. Everyone else, you should get to it. You will be rewarded in the kingdom of heaven, and by heaven I mean Netflix. Watching 
The Queen's Gambit. So good. And yeah, you don't even have to know anything about chess. It's beautifully shot. It's riveting. That's good. And you don't want to make a show where people have to know a lot about chess. That's probably not a smart strategy. Yeah, and I, I would think, like, if you're like, oh, I hate chess, my grandpa tried to teach me one time, blah, blah, blah. But no, you don't. You could know zero about chess and enjoy the hell out of it. You kind of have to do it. I'm just thinking, like, imagine going into Netflix and you're like, here's my new show. First thing, though, in order to enjoy it, you have to be like a chess master. Like, not even a casual get lost. You got to, like, know everything about chess. Oh, yeah, that's our core demographic. Bring it on. Green, green light. Like, yeah, huh? Lon, you know, I got goosebumps when whenever the Lucas Films logo comes up on the television. Sure. Or because you just the hate Kathleen Kennedy so much. <laughs> it just boils up from deep inside. No, it just it's you know, it's it's one of those things. It's got a little bit of majesty to it. And mm-hmm. I say that because. The new season of Mandalorian has begun on Disney+. Plus. Yes. The first episode of the second season, chapter nine, as they call it. Yeah, we're uh, just continuing the chapters. They're not restarting every season. Yeah. It's one long story. It's upon us. Yeah, rather enjoyable. I thought, yeah, I thought it was great. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that before this season, there was a lot of concern. And John Favreau had actually made some comments about you know, this was maybe it was going to maybe become more of a one cohesive storyline as opposed to as episodic as it was last year. And I was glad to see that it does not seem like they're going to give up on the episodic structure anytime soon. This was very much a one off adventure against a new foe that will not be, you know, an every week kind of adversary. And though I feel like Timothy Oliphant may come back at some point. This felt very much like a season one, like he rode into a new town and got into a new situation. Absolutely reminded me of the episode just in structure of from season one, where the Mandalorian helped that town take down those Imperial at-ats. Right. Or has to go get the egg for the Jawas to get the parts to his ship back, where the story has a beginning, middle and end. And we're part of some overarching narrative. But I mean, not even a mention this week of... Grief Cargo or the Bounty Hunters Guild or, you know, the Moff, uh, whatever, Gideon, Giancarlo Esposito and the Darksaber. None of that stuff. It was just a Mando's looking for the Jedi and he's off on a new adventure. Yep. Really glad to see Amy Sedaris back on the show. I love, I mean, she's great. Just an underrated comedic actress and force of comedy because like she's one of these people that just disappears into a character and will be as disgusting or hilarious or weird and just pours herself into it and she she's just enjoying she had some funny like some real little funny turns of phrase she's a a real quirkster she's full of quirks and i just dug that whole scene speaking of disappearing into the character did you know who played the cyclops alien guy in the beginning no it's john leguizamo oh Damn! Yeah, not a lot of did not a lot of people did not pick that up, but yeah, like that the he, pest himself. Yeah, they, the as the pest, yes, and he's another pest. He's a pesty. I saw John Leguizamo last year on stage in his one man show, Spanish History for for Morons, which was really great. Yeah, that's absolutely worth watching. Maybe, maybe but, Netflix. I think. Yeah, funny, and it really taught me something about indigenous peoples and Mexican, South American cultures. Really a beautiful and 
funny one-man show, but I didn't know that. Now I want to rewatch that scene. Yeah. Well, friends with Johnny Fabs from their chef days. They worked in that food truck together. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep, yeah, don't yep. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, since you bring up chef, how did John Favreau's chef score Scarlett Johansson? I mean, I don't, like, that's beyond conceivability. He's, he's John Favreau, you know. He's All right, you know what? Know, I, I don't want to people... shame Favreau. When you move in those kinds of circles, you know. I guess. You got RDJ stopping by, you know, you make some calls. But the character, I just, I don't know, a little disbelief. Sorry. Oh, you mean, oh, I, I understand what you're saying. Not how did she get her in the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. Like, the character. Oh, how? It's because he wrote the script. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's even easier. That's even simpler. So, sorry to bring up my old chef grievances, Lon. Let's really pick apart this, this chef thing. <laughs> One thing I noticed about this episode of Man of Mandalorian, it seems like they're really pushing the the like the limits, really trying so hard for and it's not that hard to get, but just teasing us and having fun with those cute baby Yoda moments. Like they're very sneaky how they shoehorn those things in there. Like that one shot where his ears are flapping as they're on the speeder bike. People are acting like this isn't what Disney does every time because they figured it out. And it, of course, is like Porgs and BB-8 and the Pixar and Disney movies and Marvel, Baby Groot. I mean, like they know it's a formula, folks. Like, I'm not saying don't fall for it. It works for a reason. But like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is there's every episode has to have at least one or two hero shots of baby Yoda just being adorable. So you'll go buy a plush one for your home. Yes. And it's working on me. There were many times where I gasped at how adorable baby Yoda was. It was, oh, just hard to fathom. And like just the little reaction shots, like, oh, baby Yoda's smiling. Like I got as excited about baby Yoda smiling as a parent is over their newborn child smiling. And parents get super excited where they're like, oh, look, he's smiling. I'm glad you don't have a child who's going to one day listen to this podcast and be like, father was more delighted by the puppet being happy than me. And you'll Shut be up like, and eat your veggies. Shut up and eat your veggies. And be like, yes, son. Now you know. I'm glad we've had this talk finally. And we got to see some Jawas, some sand people. That was cool. I will say, I mean, as much as I enjoyed the episode, I feel like any more times people are like, looks like you're going back to Tatooine. He's going to be like, look, we're in a galaxy. There are thousands of planets. It's not reasonable <laughs> that I would have to keep going back to this podunk one where there's like four people. Like the whole idea of the first Star Wars movie is that Tatooine, there's no reason to go there ever. Right. It's uninteresting. Literally, they farm moisture, a thing you can get just about anywhere. Yeah, they say there's moisture on the moon. Mando, Mando's been there like eight times. Like, it's like the most trafficked spot in the outer rim at this point. Yeah. Not credible, gang. Not credible. So uh, I, I love Giancarlo Esposito, but I've uh, mentioned before that I think he's being typecast a little too much as the heavy in in shows. Yeah, well, it's not just the heavy. If it, if it was always the heavy, I think that would be one thing. But it's always this like very like type A professional, crisp, like mm -hmm. barely speaks on top of everything, hyper professional, like 
organized crime kingpin. It's always like that. It's the Gus Fring archetype, but now, like, every show brings him in to be their Gus Fring. The Boys, Mandalorian, Breaking Bad, all the... So, I, I love him, but, like, I'm like, you know, that's... Is, is he a one-trick pony? Is there anyone else? It's like, I'm... I don't want to see him as the big bad and and I don't in a show after Mandalorian, at least for a while. That same thing is starting to set set in when I saw Timothy Oliphant as the, the sheriff guy. It's like, I get it. I love him. I love Deadwood. Justified is okay. Yeah, I feel like if he gets a call and they're like, Do you want to play a, a marshal? He's like, Yes, I don't care. I don't care what it is. If you're casting a marshal, I'm I'm Yeah, the TV marshal in once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, he just he just likes playing an old timey lawman. I, you know what? We're gonna have a show called The Marshal and the Big Bad, and it's Timothy Oliphant versus Gus Fring, and then there's gonna be a retro kid, and it's Finn Wolfhard. Like, I thought I told you, I am the only law in this town. Like, well, <laughs> I ain't so sure about that. Fixing to find out. That's Saturday. a pretty good one. Thank you. And, and there was a surprise at the end of the show. Should we reveal the uh, surprise there or just leave? Oh, it's not a surprise. By the time people are listening to this, it's been out there in the world. Tamara Morrison, who plays both Django and Boba Fett. Well, he's never played Boba Fett, but Boba Fett is a clone of Django Fett. So presumably he could play Boba Fett. He shows up at the end. And I guess, I mean, here's my thought. They have basically given us a a timeline to explain why Boba Fett's not dead. Boba Fett got ingested by the Sarlacc. Then we're to understand this crate dragon creature killed the Sarlacc. Presumably that would be when Boba Fett somehow made his escape from within the Sarlacc. And this would be when he pawned his armor to the Jawas so that he could then hide out and people would think he was dead for some reason. And then the Jawas had the armor and that's how it got, it, it found its way into the hands of Timothy Oliphant. So, I mean, I guess I'm assuming that could be the narrative. I mean, that timeline, that checks out. That plays, Lon, good work there. But it's also like kind of silly and why? I just It's kind of silly, but it's also just- it's fan service. I just, yeah, I don't know if we need that particular thing to tie in exactly because of course Boba Fett too would not be a true Mandalorian in any kind of sense he would also be an outsider who was just kind of wearing the armor so we've kind of already covered that angle with our main character true true it's a fun reference and I do think it's worth entertaining the notion that it could be a twist and that could be a different clone trooper because they're all clones yeah so Lon we don't know We shall see. Yeah, you don't know. Well, those clone troopers are from the prequels. So if he was Boba Fett and he was a a child then, it would make more sense that he's just craggy old Temera Morrison now. But if we were to say he was an adult clone trooper during the Clone Wars, he hasn't really aged that much. But there could be an explanation for that. You don't know. True. You're not Dave Filoni. You don't know. I am not. I've never claimed to be, Lon. I feel like you have. But I'm gonna let it go. I have no. I, I lack the hard evidence. Okay. You've been impersonating Clone Wars creator Dave Filoni. I will neither confirm nor deny that. Okay. I see where this is headed. Lon, I believe we both watched a little bit of HBO's The Undoing, which you can find on HBO Max, HBO, etc. All the various HBOs in the world. Yes. Yeah, so many HBOs. So many. So little time. David E. Kelly. 
and Nicole Kidman. They worked together on Big Little Lies. They're back together. And also the uh, the source material. Yeah, Leanne, Leanne Moriarty wrote both books that both shows are based on. Gotcha. And you can tell there's like just a similar, just a, a lot of similar tones. It's a, it does seem like murder in a place where extremely rich people congregate seems to be the subgenre. That's <laughs> these three have really carved out. There's a, it's a yeah. very particular niche. It's yeah, the Upper West Side. Yeah, it's in a Manhattan where is a place is where the undoing takes place. And uh, what was it Santa Barbara, Monterey, Monterey, Monterey. Monterey. Yeah, it's like where is a place they will literally kick you out for wearing jeans? And then what if someone just got mutilated there? How would the ladies who lunch react? That's like, these are the only questions that Leanne Moriarty books are probing deeply. That is a specific genre. I I feel like every one of her books, the cover could be a Fabergé egg with like a spot of blood on it. That's the caliber of story she's telling. That's the world that interests her. Yes, a a Prada bag with, uh, yes, dried congealed blood. Right. It'd be like the 1%, 99% evil. Like, it's like, that's the world we're in. Ooh, indeed. Intrigue in, in the uh, in the in the posh cloister. Right. Yeah, I feel like privileged the, homes. The next one is gonna be like Nicole Kidman's investigating a double murder at the Monocle factory. <laughs> and like all of the customers are suspects. They'd be like, you know, they, 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 Nicole Kidman Because only rich people, only rich people wear monocles. Yeah, Nicole Kidman is one of the people seated in the Viscount's opera box and they all have dark secrets. You know, they're like, oh, oh, the leading foie gras magnate in Shambury has vanished. What does his wife, Nicole Kidman, think? Like, that's that's where we're going. Oh, may- maybe on the, the foot of the slopes of Aspen. Yeah. Someone take an unexpected tumble and there are suspects abound. Suspects abound. I feel like it's not it's maybe not aspen it's like what's the aspen that we haven't even heard of the people who are like aspen's, oh yeah aspen's over like where do they go next mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like deep in the heart of the swiss alps someone's hot cocoa has been poisoned it's like that kind of thing oh man or basically david e kelly should just remake billions but nicole kidman plays both leading roles it's like in a dual role She's both Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. Ooh. And I everybody mean, dies. She's got range. I, I wonder if she has that much range. Listen, it's not It's not a knock. They're both, like, I like both of these shows. They sound like I'm coming down on them. So do I. So do I, actually. It's just there's there's this big similarity where, like, not only is it, you know, like a murder mystery kind of deal, but it's also, and and we do that same thing where we open with the murder and then we kind of backtrack to like, here's how we got here. Right. But it's also like every single environment where the characters spend time, you're just like looking at the room. You're just like, my God, I've never even seen a room like this. Like where, like, how do you even get a room this big? Yeah, that's like, that's an apartment in New York City. Like an apartment has those ceilings that are that high. It's like, that's, yeah, you spend as much time just admiring the room as you do paying attention to the characters. Yeah, like since it's HBO, they probably just had like the same location scout from uh, Succession. Just be like, (laughs) oh yeah, you need some rich shit. 
I got it. That'd be like if they brought in David E. Kelly to do like a week in the succession writers room. It's like, who are we going to kill? And they're like, no, no, we don't. It's not really a murder show. You're just like somebody's got to die. And then Nicole Kidman's got to be concerned about it. You got half the formula here. You got all these rich people. They all need to be suspects in a murder. Yeah, it's like, right. By episode three, Brian Cox is dead in David E. Kelly's succession. <laughs> No questions. The series, uh, we've only seen two episodes at this point. There's uh, the third is coming. Coming this weekend. It's it's weekly. And it feels it's moving at a pretty swift click. It is. It's it's heavy handed. It's in broad strokes. It feels like a limited series. The first episode is a little odd, I thought, because I feel like they give you enough information to where you, the viewer, have pieced together things much earlier than the characters. And I'm not trying to be like, ha ha, I got the twist. Like, I think you're supposed to know what's happening long before Nicole Kidman sort of figures it out. Yeah, I think you're you're supposed to be a step ahead, but I think there was still some intrigue. I there, there was, but by, by halfway through the first episode, I felt like I was at the end of the first episode and it takes Nicole Kidman an extra 30, 35 to get there. I didn't feel this way about the second episode. I feel like we kind of catch up with her. Yeah. And sure, she catches up with us or however. But I don't know. It's a weird It's a weird way to start it off. It feels like you would keep us both in the dark until a big reveal. Because they treat the end of the first episode like it's a big reveal. And I was like, well, yeah, no crap, guys. I mean, there wouldn't really be a show unless this was going to be the reveal, right? I'm not trying, trying to talk around it so we don't spoil it. Yeah, we're saving you from the spoilers. But yeah, it's otherwise, it's an enjoyable show. I, I, Hugh Grant is definitely playing, a, you know, kind of against type. Sort of, but it's also kind of a fun take on his, like, old persona. Like, like he because he used to play, like, the cad. Like, this is sort of like that guy, like the caddish. Well, he's played the cat, but he's also the lovable. Right, but I'm saying that this is kind of like that guy as he aged. Like, and he's, the corners got soft, and he's still kind of caddish and charming, but in like a safer... I mean, he is an older gentleman at this point. Right, but it's, it's in a more safer, like avuncular kind of way. Nicole Kidman, she's been with us in our lives for so long, but, you know... <laughs> Sure. Her doctors are doing amazing work. Like, listen, it's terrible form for like an overweight bearded dude who looks like me to be like, let me tell you about Nicole Kidman. But you brought it up. Yeah. I feel like this kind of role, perfect for Nicole Kidman. Suits her current look and appearance. But when she tries to play like a suburban mom, like there's that movie Rabbit Hole from at this point, it's got to be seven or eight years ago. Where she's like a grieving mother, but like a suburban mom, not like a big little lies. Like, I live on this cliffside in the wealthiest neighborhood in the country person. She looks like somebody who's had a lot of really good work done. And I don't know if yeah. I buy her as like an every woman anymore. That's sure. No, that makes sense. She looks like, you know, she's living a posh life. She, yeah, she looks and like a therapist who lives in Manhattan in like a deluxe condo with her like surgeon husband. So she is perfect for these roles. Right. And uh, each show has her looking longingly and making forlorn faces. There's lots of that. If you loved the forlorn faces of Big Little Lies, mm -hmm. this show, The Undoing, really scratches that itch. Yeah, that's the name of the next David E. Kelly, Leanne Moriarty show. It's like wrinkleless yet forlorn faces. That's, what, <laughs> that's the subgenre that we're in. I mean, and there are a lot of them in this show. It's, it's compelling because you think you know, but then you're 
not sure if you know. I enjoy saying the name. I enjoy saying it a little too much, the undoing. I also love to annoy my wife. So I annoyed my wife by throughout the show. Every time something happened, I turned to her and said, this might be their undoing. Mm, yes. Oh, this could be the undoing. That It you creates think? suspense. You're constantly like, wait. Is this the undoing? Is this the undoing? Are they finally so, undone? Have we become undone? I love a show like that where you can just like say the name over and over again. And it, the name is as heavy handed as the broad strokes of the show itself. Right. I, I, I had a couple of ideas uh, for uh, potential shows with heavy handed names mm -hmm. like The Straw That Broke the Camel's Back. Andre Brower and Alfre Woodard are American expatriates who've moved to the Middle East and they're running a tour company where you can rent a camel and a camel dies under mysterious circumstances. And we need to discern, was that the straw that broke the camel's back? I feel like you need, you need a few scenarios that could also be, right. But then also their relationship is in trouble. Exactly. And could this be the straw that breaks the camel's back of their relationship while a literal camel's back was broken and has hurt their Middle Eastern tour service? Yeah. I think I have a hit on my hands. You want a title that creates that kind of intrigue. It's like a little how I met your mother-y. It's like, well, is, wait, is this how he met her, her their mother? I don't know. I want to tune in Perhaps. and find out. Perhaps. Wait, is it always sunny in Philadelphia? Maybe it's not. You don't know. Tune in and find out. Here's another show idea, Lon. Please. With a heavy-handed title, Beyond Repair. And it stars Bill Burr and Lucas Hedges as a father and son who have become estranged. And then the son reconnects with the father and goes to work at his auto body shop. Is this car that just pulled in Beyond Repair? Is the relationship between the father and son Beyond Repair? Also, can I just add, I've got one note for you. The name of the garage is also Beyond Repair. Yes. So you, it's, now you bake it in that way. I love it. I love it, Lon. Yeah. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, I got one. Robbie Coltrane, he's the, the fatherless and kind of sour, aging guy. He never had a family of his own, never had a wife. His brother and his brother's wife dies and in their will, they ask him, please raise our children. So it's Robbie Coltrane starring in this gritty family drama, Bob's Your Uncle, coming this fall to Fox. Wait, so is there a second meaning there? No, it's just, you're staying with this guy now. Bob's your uncle, no second <laughs> meaning. And every episode, somebody says, well, Bob's your uncle. Gotta live with him. Yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the day, Bob's your uncle. Exactly, right. Yeah. Like, well, he, listen, he may stay out all night gambling on the ponies, but Bob's your uncle. So what are you going to do? Credits. I know you never want to talk to the guy again, but come on, give him a chance. Bob's your uncle. Right. There you go. From the producers of Shameless. Yes. <laughs> Coming to Showtime. Right. Juan, we both watched some animated fare on Netflix. <laughs> I can't believe I got you to watch this. I'm very proud of myself. Blood of Zeus. I'm actually enjoying it. There is a Netflix animated series based on the video games Castlevania. You remember the Castlevania games? Oh, sure. It's the same animation studio makes the old Castlevania, makes the Castlevania show and this. So that's why I was interested in it. And it very much is like, what if the Castlevania animated series, but Greek mythology instead of Gothic monsters and Dracula? Like, it's almost the same concept. You know, 
I I liked it. it. It's like got off to like an energized, fun start off to the races. And the violence is gory. Yeah, it's super disgusting. I mean, it's it's just a cartoon and it's literally a cartoon. So it's like people get cut in half and it's not like disgusting. It's just drawings, but it is extremely violent. Yeah, like it's shocking sometimes. Yeah, like it's incredibly violent. More than Castlevania, maybe? Yeah. I found the violence to be a kind of a pleasant surprise because you don't you don't go into a most animated fair expecting that level of gore. And it's creative with the gore. Like you can't really be that creative with gore in live action if you're going to be like, well, then this person gets sliced through or cut in half with a sword. You'd have to show all the viscera. It's expensive to do it. It, 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 just, it. You have to be careful or it would be stomach turning to viewers. But in a cartoon, you could just show it and it's like, and then you move on. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have the same impact. And I like the way it delivers its backstory. It, you know, it gives you snippets of the, the backstory in fits and starts. And it, it's quick. It's fun. It's give, it's kind of like these Cliff Notes versions of Clash of the Titans. Right. Well, and that's the other thing I was going to say is much like what we were saying about Castle Rock, where it was like they got a lot of use out of being able to like borrow from Stephen King, but not have to like redo the story. And I think that's what these guys are doing with Greek mythology. It's like, we can just have Hermes show up and like, Mm -hmm. now it's a good, like, there's a Cyclops over there, but they don't have to like retell the Odyssey, you know, like they're not trapped to these old narratives. They can just remix them as they want. And it's fun. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, it it is fun. So they give you like these little doses and it's like, oh, yeah, I know her. I remember uh, reading about these characters and then the monsters. They have like these kaiju style monsters who come out of the like or like a kraken. Right. Some of them really are from real Greek myths. And some of them are obviously like just fun to animate, like put a tentacle guy in there just for fun. The creatures, the monsters, it is super fun. It was making, and I was, this is a really stupid observation, but it was just making me wonder, like, oh, like, uh, why can't the Bible have, like, gory, fun cartoons like this? I think people might get offended if you tried to do it with Bible stories, especially if you changed them. If you were like, well, now Methuselah's doing this stuff. People be like, ah, (laughs) I believe these stories are real, so. But it would be sick as fuck, dude. It would be sick as fuck, I agree. And I mean, like, Wiccans must feel that way when we make, like, Lords of Salem. They're like, eh, I believe in this. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> and, and then they cast a spell on you. Yeah, I'm right. Now I'm cursed. Thanks, witches. <laughs> Damn it. Me and Roald Dahl. You know what I learned from this? Zeus is a real lech. Yeah. You, you did not know? No, I didn't know Zeus loved to, like, go out and bone mortals the way he does. Like, a lot of stuff is actually taken right out of the myths, like, Zeus turning into an animal and using it to, like, spy on a lady and then seduce her. Like, that is straight out of the old myths. You learn a little bit about Greek mythology. Just a little bit. It's just super fun. Yeah, just a little bit. But right, it's silly. It's it's an adventure. There's lots of action. There's lots of fights. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's a little bit like, I forget the hero's name. That's... uh... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll look it up. I mean, it's not it's not super important. Whatever, but he's got is. like kind of a John Snow vibe to him, like the reluctant yeah. hero, Hier- who... Huron, Huron. So just Huron, Huron with oh, a little N. on the nose for a hero, yeah, Huron. Yeah, yeah, he he's like uh, kind of a you know bastard son, sort of like in the in the style of John Snow. His, yeah, his, well, his story is very much like you mentioned, Clash of the Titans. Like he is kind of a Perseus yes. figure, you know. Like it's very it's similar to the Clash of the Titans character. 
But like, if you want just like a gory good time, that's that's in you know pretty brisk episodes, and that's super easy to follow. They're not like you know going down like too dense a rabbit hole with world building. Like the like I I think the show actually has done a fantastic job of having just like very like sparse world building, like just enough to let you go on this fun adventure. Yeah, it's really just lightly cherry-picking things from Greek mythology that would be fun to reimagine in an anime style. Like, they keep... Netflix is calling it an anime. I don't think you can necessarily strictly call it that because I don't think it was made in Japan. Like, I think it has to actually be Japanese. I think it is just an animated series in an anime style, I think. The Blood of Zeus! And also, like, there are demon creatures, there are monsters, like we said. I highly recommend, this is a, like, just a fun distraction. It's a good time. Yeah, I enjoy it. Thank you for recommending that to me, Lon. Of course. And you know what? Lon, you know, that's why I say you are the smartest man in streaming. You write a streaming newsletter. You're too kind. You, oh, you're a wealth of knowledge. You recommended this next thing that we're going to talk about. After, speaking of Blood of Zeus on Netflix, David Byrne's American Utopia on HBO, HBO Max. And I had no intention of watching this. I had enjoyed some David. Like, listen, I like Talking Heads. I enjoyed the David Byrne musical numbers on Saturday Night Live not that long ago. Right, yeah. He was on with John Mulaney. Yes, 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 yes. But I found American Utopia to be joyous. This was such a great time. And I want to thank you for bringing this up as something to watch. And it really, a lot of us are going through the 2020 blues. (laughs) This lifted my spirits. It really gives you hope. It's got some really strong messaging, but it's not shoving it down your throat. It's just a light dusting and then just artistic interpretations of different thoughts, theories. It's a celebration. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's like mostly a concert film. Like he's performing some of his new solo songs. That He's got an album called American Utopia that a lot of these songs are taken from. But he also does some classic Talking Heads numbers in there. I was really excited when he had Don't Worry About the Government is like the first uh, Talking Heads song that they do. Yeah, and it, but it, it also has some monologues and some general kind of thoughts about other stuff. And it's just he's got this very weird idiosyncratic persona that's like just his own where he's like he's like a rock and roll nerd who's like very enthusiastic to like teach you about stuff and absolutely oh and the show it's uh deftly directed by spike lee by spike lee yeah yeah and it is quality because a lot of times you know if i'm gonna watch a concert film or like uh, a broadway show that has been filmed i mean if it's not like hamilton or something i'm really just you're dragging me in there kicking and screaming but this grabs you right away and it's just filled with delights and like i said it's kind of an introspective celebration of modern life and individuality just kind of like who are we it makes you think a little bit it makes you think about just your day-to-day and about people and it celebrates immigrants and also just the cast like i love how just the first two people you see you know that come out to assist David Byrne are a, a black woman. And then there's uh, a man who's wearing makeup and it's just like, it blurs some like, you know, traditional gender lines. Right. Everybody's in the gray suits like him. And yeah, another thing that's really interesting that you just have to kind of notice is 
There's no, it's like a full band. I mean, it's a concert film. Like they're playing all these songs, but there's no wires or speakers. They're using the technology. Like all of them are wearing, everybody who's playing live music has these backpacks on that have all of their gear and they're sort of like melded into their costume. So it just looks like all of these individual people on stage and you really don't notice the instruments that much and there's no gear equipment. And and so it doesn't feel like watching a concert. You, You have to keep reminding yourself that the music is being played live and like you're really hearing them play the songs. It feels like watching a play while this music is on. And like purposefully, you have to keep reminding yourself that like, no, they're playing and singing this music in real time. Totally. I found myself like, A, very impressed with the cardio of the people involved. Yeah, well, David Byrne's an older guy. Yes, older guy, but slim and trim and definitely in shape and holding his own. But they're singing, they're dancing, they, they have these heavy drum kits or their guitars, but also... The fact that they're doing these dances and playing at the same time. It's very like worked out, like synchronized and everybody's got all these moves that they're doing the whole time. It feels like a party. You know, you're watching people having a good time, loving what they're doing. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Just as just a beautiful palate cleanser and to lift your spirits and remind you that there is a little bit of good in the world, a little bit of art in the world. It celebrates people from different cultures, immigrants, but it's not in a heavy handed way. Like you could just, no, it's just fun. It's like a, it's a concert. Yeah. Yeah. Open a bottle of wine, smoke a joint and, or whatever you're, you're doing out there to get you through the dark and lonely night and enjoy the heck out of this thing. Slam some angel dust and put, and put this on, you know? Listen, huff the paint and put on David Byrne's American Utopia. We're just saying freebase whatever you would normally freebase. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. Lon, thanks for the recommendations this week. Yeah. You were two for two on these. So I, um, I, I will admit, I Blood of Zeus, I was a little, I was a little, I'd watched the first episode before I recommended it to you. And I was like, we'll see. We will see. Because I did not know how that was going to go down. I'm glad uh, I'm glad that was an approved recommendation. I learned a lot. Devil Man Cry Baby next. No, I'm kidding. You're not have to watch that. Well, TBD, TBD. TBD on Devil Man Cry Baby. Lon, uh, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yes, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best place. That's where I update everything that I'm doing. And if you want to read the newsletter that Hal has already referred to, it's Inside Streaming. It's five days a week. It is free. Go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up for that. Very cool. And you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm talking about movies and TV sometimes and doing comedy stuff and just generally talking shit. Also, please uh, check out my Twitch channel at Chuckleface, at Chuckleface on Twitch, doing several regular comedy shows over there. Come by for the good times. I want to thank Owl Nation, Hoot Hoot, and I want to thank Starburns Audio for having us. And please find us on iTunes uh, and subscribe anywhere. Leave us reviews and we will talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bye everybody. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the